Welcome to Grace Point this Palm Sunday. I'm excited uh, what uh, God has in store for us this morning. Um, today we begin Holy Week and we march towards Resurrection Sunday in just a few short days. And I want to echo what Pastor Jesse just said. Take advantage of the tools to make this week more than just a week of living. Make it a week of celebration and remembering what Christ has done by taking advantage of the prayer walk and Monday, Thursday communion and the service of shadows on Friday and there's an Easter breakfast on Sunday and then we can get jazzed up next week and, and just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, on this particular day in the church calendar, we celebrate Palm Sunday. It's a, a commer, a com, you know, commemorating that, that day when Jesus Christ uh, rode on the donkey into Jerusalem and the people laid down their cloaks and outer garments and palm branches before him as an act of reverence. And it, as he went into that uh, city on that first Palm Sunday, I think most in that crowd that day had no idea what was going on. They were carried along by the excitement of the, of the moment, um, but very few really understood that this is God's son. His close followers got it. They knew that this was God's son, and they knew what he was about, and soon they would know the full extent what Jesus was about when he went to the cross and died uh, for their sins. Um, Jesus' destiny and purpose from the get-go was to be crucified for our sins. Um, he wouldn't stay dead, though. We know that on the third day he rose from the dead, and he was the resurrection. Uh, of the, uh, he was the first fruit resurrection, as the Bible says, which means that you and I, as we place our faith in him, will also experience the same kind of resurrection power that Christ experienced. So we who love Jesus today, right? and know who he is, we don't celebrate Palm Sunday by getting carried along uh, by the moment. We're people that know, amen? We know what it's all about. And we celebrate then in that knowledge that Christ is triumphal in our, in our life. Um, as I mentioned in that first Palm Sunday, most were carried along by the excitement of the crowd. In a few short days, that same group of people would be incited to shout out something quite differently. They would be carried along again by, by the moment, and they would be incited to shout out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And ever since that time of Christ and his death on this cross, humanity finds itself in two groups. Those who reject Jesus Christ and those who Receive Jesus Christ. And it matters which side of the cross that you find yourself on. To those who reject Christ, the cross looks like foolishness. To those who have received Christ, the cross is something we go, oh, thank God, because it provides me access to God. It's a powerful thing. Our theme verse this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I would like you to read this out loud with me. So we're going to say it together. Here we go. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen? There ought to be some hooting and hollering with that verse. It is the power of God. Our big thought this morning is this. The cross that Jesus bore, with all of its implications, if rightly embraced, is an opportunity. It's an opportunity like no other opportunity. And if wrongly understood, this thing becomes an obstacle. It looks like foolishness. Many who lived in that first Holy Week time period, many who were there and present on that very first Palm Sunday, they missed out on what Christ was up to because the cross became an obstacle to them. 
Uh, they, they, they didn't understand what this was all about. Um, people, by the way, are on one side of the cross or the other. There is no neutrality when it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ. You are either on the side where you receive it or you're on the side where it is rejected. And you, be, you can say, well, I don't, I don't really reject it. Yeah, if you're minimizing it, if you're saying it doesn't matter, if you're saying, well, that's not for me, you have rejected it. And you're on this side of the cross, you're on the wrong side of the cross. The only way to be on the right side of the cross is to receive what this cross is all about. That Christ is God's son, that he came and physically dwelt among his creation, that he went to the cross, he was crucified on our behalf, he bore upon his body our sins so that we can be made right with God by placing our faith in him. That is the only way to be on the right side of the cross. Amen? Amen. Thank you. That was good. That's good. You're on one side of the cross or the other, and you can't ignore it. It's always there. That's why it's in the middle of the stage today. You just can't ignore the Christ of the cross of Christ. So we're going to look at some of the situations on that very first uh, uh, situation of the cross back in the day when Jesus was crucified. We're going to look at some who are on the wrong side of the cross and some who are on the right side of the cross, okay? So we're going to look at the optical, the wrong side of the cross uh, as a way of beginning our message this morning. So here we go. Here's point number one. If you're on the wrong side of the cross, some only see Jesus as a means to a selfish outcome. Some only see Jesus as a means to a selfish outcome. Here's what I mean by this statement. Most on that first Palm Sunday thought of Jesus as their triumphal king in an earthly kind of framework. Here comes a person that can deliver us from Roman tyranny. And they're looking at Christ from this earthly vantage point. And it was hard for such ones to wrap their mind around this idea that, no, he was about something more than an earthly outcome, that he came to die on a cross for an eternal outcome. And they just couldn't grasp that uh, and they ended up on the wrong side of the cross. Now the soldiers that were present when Christ was crucified really are illustrative of this group that's about selfishness, about gaining from Christ. Um, as Christ is being hung there and crucified, they're doing what? Do you remember what they were doing? Gambling for his garments. They're looking at an opportunity to expand their wardrobe and they're missing out entirely on what was transpiring right in front of their very eyes. Matthew 27 verse 35 says this, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So get the picture. God incarnate is hanging on the cross. He's pouring out his blood for their very souls and for their eternity's sake. He is dying. And yet what are they doing? They are so utterly clueless and they're gambling for his garments. And they missed Christ, who's right in proximity to their lives. And they are illustrative of a wrong approach to Jesus, seeing him as a means to just a selfish outcome in your life. Some come to Jesus thinking, oh, I, I just need a better life. Uh, I need more success in my job. I need to have maybe a better marriage. My marriage is broken or, or maybe uh, I'll do better with my kids. And, and, and it's, 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 it's not that Jesus doesn't do those things for you. He does. But that's too small. That's just too small to come to Jesus for those reasons alone. You got to come to Jesus for his own sake, for who he is, that he is truly Savior and Redeemer. And these other things will find their proper place. But to come to Jesus as some kind of a motivational hook, that's just small-minded. 
That's looking at the story of Christ way too much on a selfish, small-minded kind of way. Because Jesus' story is so much greater than that. Now, we see that Christ was crucified between two criminals, right? There was one on one side and one on the other side. Now, one criminal is illustrative uh, of missing the opportunity of what rejection does for you. Some only see Jesus as a way out. And that criminal saw Jesus as possibly a, a way out. Listen to what he says in Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who hung, on the, uh, who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. This criminal definitely had attitude towards Jesus. Amen, right? Right? He had the, he has a, had the attitude towards Jesus that so many still have towards Jesus. He accusingly jabbed at Jesus and said, hey, aren't you like this powerful dude? Uh, the, your savior will save yourself and then when you're doing that, take me along with you. But it wasn't an acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as son of God. That wasn't what he was doing. It was a jab. It was an insult. And this criminal missed out on something entirely. He wasn't willing to admit his own depravity and sinfulness. That the reason he hung on the cross was because he had done some things wrong. He was looking for Christ to get him out of consequences in life. And that was all he really wanted out of him. And he didn't want anything more. And that, I tell you what, is indicative of so much of humanity. Jesus just saved me from some consequences in life. Saved me from some of my poor decisions. Some things that I've done wrong. But I really don't want you. I really don't want a relationship with you. And that'll never work. Jesus is not an escape route out of life. He is the way to life, to new life. And he, we got to look beyond our limited perspective on some of our personal troubles we have because of our poor decisions we've made. And we cannot see Jesus in just a little box of solving some few problems like that for us. We have to see him big, Amen. That he's come to give us new life and eternal life forevermore with God the Father. we got to begin to really see him that way. Now, those are two ways that the cross becomes more of an obstacle than an opportunity. I want to get to one third way. And, and, and this is one I, I think that's alive and well today. Some are offended by Jesus. Matthew 27 verses 39 through 43 tell us this. Those who pass by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, um, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God that God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. I remember when I was a freshman in college. I attended Carleton College in southern Minnesota. It's a uh, highly known school for its academic uh, excellence. And um, the reason I went there was because uh, they offered to let me play basketball there. So I wish I could say I was this really smart guy and just went there because the school was so good. I went there to play basketball. And so um, part of the freshman coursework that you had to do at Carleton College was take a writing class. It was a requirement for every freshman to take a writing class. And some of the professors there, and I don't know if the professors still do this, I imagine they do, they prided themselves on wrecking your life. It just seems like that's what they wanted to do, and especially if you were a freshman, just wanted to knock you down a few knots to make, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, to make sure you knew that you weren't uh, the scum of the earth. At um, any rate, so most of the students that went to Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota, uh, were from the top of their class. It was an academically very difficult school. And so none of us were used to failing ever academically. You, you get the picture of this? Uh, I'm not saying this to brag. It's just what it was. And so we get in this freshman English club, uh, writing class, right? And this professor sits down with us. There's 15 of us, and we're all kind of nervously looking at each other. And he says to us that day, seven or eight of you will fail this class. And he was just so doggone smug about it, you know? And I remember thinking, oh, no, I got a crazy man for my writing class. Oh, no. And on top of that, he was my academic advisor. So I'm thinking I've got the double prong problem going on here. And so what we would do is you'd write three or four papers. You had to write about two to three papers a week uh, over the course of that semester. It was crazy difficult. And you'd get to a certain amount, and then you would meet with him and his teaching assistant in his office. And I called it my weekly whipping or biweekly or every couple of weeks whipping. You'd go in there and he'd tell you what an idiot you were and how terrible you wrote and why, what kind of education you did not have and other things I cannot repeat. And I go, okay, I'm going to go get beat up for an hour and then I'm, hopefully I'll have some, I'll crawl like a worm and hopefully recover. Um, and then at one session, the tone even got worse. I didn't think it could get any worse, but he looked at his teaching assistant and he said, if I were her, I'd hate you. I said, whoo, that's a new low even for you. I don't even know her, <laughs> you know, who is she? And, and then he went on to reveal why he had said that. You see, when I had applied to Carleton College, you had to write an essay. That was part of your application process. You had to write an essay, and they evaluated. I didn't know that. They evaluated your writing skills on an essay. I had no idea. No one in my family had gone to college. I was the first one to go to college. I didn't know I was actually graded on this essay. So you know what I did? I wrote my testimony. Because that's who I was at that time. I was crazy in love with Jesus, and I just wrote about Christ and what he had done in my life. Well, this professor was not a Christian. In fact, he prided himself on not being Christian at all. And so... He let his hand out to me in that session finally. He looked at me and he said, you Christians. And I said, oh, there it is. He said, you're all a bunch of bigots. And he went on, you know, the whole list of things that people say, the labeling. And he looked at me and said, do you think women are second class citizens? And he looked at her, what do you think? He thinks this about you. <laughs> I'm not even participating in the conversation. You know what I mean? And she was looking as uncomfortable as me in that meeting. And, and I, I remember walking out of that meeting and thinking, oh, I'm fighting a different battle than I thought I was fighting here. This man is highly offended by the message of Christ. And I'm in his crosshairs because of that. And I was just so amazed at how deeply offended and biased and close-minded he was. Uh, to the, the things of Christ. And Vicki here recently sent me a cartoon, and we have one that's similar to it up on the overhead behind me. Kind of reminded me of him a little bit. This uh, rhino is painting pictures, and what is in every picture? Because that's the rhino's perspective. All they see is the horn, right? They think the horn is part of every single landscape they look at. And I, I just, it's good, it's good isn't it? 
And so when, when someone's highly offended by something, what do they see? All they see is that offense. And they, not, they don't see the world as it is. They see the world as they think it is. And when you're highly offended, that's how you see everything, through your offense. And that's the way this professor was, and that's the way I think most people are in life. And those who walked by Christ were highly offended by someone that was saying to them, you're broken, you're sinful, you're needy of God's grace. I have come to take that problem away. And they're going, all I can see is the horn. I don't see my neediness. Who are you? And they saw life not as it was, but as they thought it was. And, and, and so that becomes a great obstacle then to receiving Jesus Christ. If you're not willing to admit, I am broken, I am sinful, and I cannot fix this myself. If you're prideful or if you're offended by that or whatever, then you're going to see the horn. And you're not going to see the landscape of your life as it truly is. Amen? And I realized for the ver- that first time as a freshman in college, I realized that up front when I was dealing with this professor, he isn't going to ever see life as it is. He's going to see it through his offenses. I just need to pray for a soul. And I'm amazed at how patient God is with us and how even those who are vehemently opposed to him, he is patient with such ones, long-suffering with them, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's an amazing an amazing thing about our God. And we who are in Jesus have to understand that we always have to be open and malleable and teachable. And when we see something in our lives or someone begins to talk to us about something that maybe has been a horn for a long time and we begin to realize, oh, I'm thinking that this was normal and it's not normal and God wants to begin to break something down in us that's sinful or wrong-headed or whatever language you want to Uh, use there we have to be open and not let that offense be an obstacle to the work of Christ in our lives amen and we have to be open and not see life through a horn but see it as it is because the Holy Spirit is constantly transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ and frequently he will bring up things that you and I don't even know are problematic so that they get addressed in our lives amen But if we're offended by that, or if we're not seeing it, or if we're unwilling to look at it, then we're going to actually run into the cross, the the work of Christ as an obstacle. Let's switch sides of the cross now as I finish the message. I want to talk about being on the right side of the cross. Um, This is uh, uh, where we want to be. We want to be on the receiving side of the cross, the opportunity side of the cross, the right side of the cross. This Friday in our service of shadows, we are remembering the uh, remember the suffering of Jesus for our sins. Um, Jesus was beaten beyond recognition, if you remember and recount the story of his crucifixion. And he's being paraded to um, the hill to be crucified. And he gets to the point where he's too fatigued. He's too beaten. He, he doesn't have any physical strength. And uh, I felt that way yesterday. How, how about you? After snowblowing? Oh, my goodness. It was like snowblowing water. And so I did that for about an hour and a half. Then I had this brilliant idea. Let's go skiing with Vicky. And we went over to the nature park, and I, I love the cross-country ski, and we got there, and there's no trails, of course, and there's a f- foot of fresh snow, and I'm thinking, this is great, until I went about a mile. Woo! I said, this is not great to her. I'm done. I'm spent. This is like trying to ski through sand. I don't know what's going on. It's just too sticky. And, and so, anyway, a, a small, have you ever just been really fatigued? I remember some practices and things where I would get done, and I would lay there on the bench for a while. 
before I could get up enough strength to make it to the locker room to drink something or whatever. Just being that. Jesus is just beaten up and fatigued. And he falls down. And Simon from Cyrene is grabbed from the crowd and forced to carry the cross for Jesus. Hear his story. It's found in Matthew 27, 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. And it could be said from this account, and I think this is one of the ways that we begin to receive uh, 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 and be on the right side of the cross. An unexpected occurrence can change your life for the good if you receive it rightly. An unexpected occurrence, something that you weren't looking for, if you receive it rightly, can just change your life drastically. So you think about Simon. What was that man thinking that day when Christ was being paraded to his crucifixion? You, you got to wonder, was he already a believer? He might have been. Maybe he was just one of the hundreds of curious wondering what was going on and was just in the crowd. Maybe he was, uh, you know, a super dedicated uh, Jew. And then when he had to carry the, 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 the cross of Christ, was thinking, how did I ever find myself here? But we know this. Somehow Simon became a follower. And here's why I say that. In the Gospel of Mark, that the gospel just means the story of the life of Jesus. We're, we're told about his two sons, Rufus and Alexander. It says these two boys were Christians. And they were boys of Simon from Cyrene who carried the cross of Christ. Well, how did they become Christians, do you think? I think their dad influenced them. Amen? I think Simon was a follower of Christ. Now, was he a follower before he had to carry the cross? I don't know. Did this have something to do with this, his becoming a follower? I bet it did. I imagine it solidified it, if nothing else. We don't know. I can only make uh, 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 some conjecture here. I, I, I don't know for sure. But he definitely had an unexpected occurrence in his life that was so important, it's noted in the Bible. And I think it changed him forever and his family forever. Oh, I think every one of us, at some point, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, at some point in your life, something unexpected happened to you that changed you forever. Amen? Something caused you to be pushed down on your backside or something intervened or your routine was disrupted and you had to deal with who is Jesus. Do I believe in him? Do I not believe in him? You may not even be looking for him. Amen? And he found you and you go, oh, it was an unexpected occurrence, but it's also an opportunity afforded to you to be on the right side of the cross. Amen? It works that way frequently in the lives of people. Some of you who are here this morning, you know what? You didn't want to really come to church today. Sometimes I don't want to go to church. I'm the pastor. Be honest. I mean, you know. And maybe your mate got you to come. A friend got you to come. Maybe you came because your parents made you come or whatever. But you're here and now all of a sudden I'm talking this crazy preacher about Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you're going, oh, what do I do with this? And you're now experiencing, my friend, an unexpected occurrence. What will you do with Jesus? Will you be on the right side of the cross? Will you receive him as your savior? I want to just tell you something. This is God's standard operating procedure in our lives to do the unexpected and to give us an opportunity that it affords to be reliant upon Jesus Christ. I think Simon embraced that, and I think the outcome was that his boys embraced it also. As I close out this morning, I want to bring us to the two criminals once again. 
Now, I remember the one criminal was on the wrong side of Christ. He hurled insults at Christ, right? He rejected Jesus Christ. But the other criminal over here was on the right side of Christ. And he received Jesus Christ. Um, um, he sought salvation from the one hanging next to him in proximity to him. He acknowledged his sinfulness and the deserving of the punishment that he was receiving. He acknowledged his own depravity. Um, and, and Jesus totally changed his outlook on the event that was transpiring in his life at that moment. That, that, that event was that he was dying, right? And that was a pretty dismal moment for this guy who realized, I hang here because I have done wrong and I deserve to be here and now my life is being poured out and I don't know what lies ahead. And he looked at Jesus and said, I've done wrong, I deserve this. And he told the other criminal, we deserve this, but this guy doesn't. And he looked at Jesus and he said, remember me when you get into paradise. Or remember me. And Jesus said, I will, this day you'll be with me in paradise. I should say that right. But listen, this is point number two. Jesus will totally change the outlook of the one who's on the right side of the cross. He'll give you a new outlook. He'll change your perspective of life totally. Luke 23, verses 40 through 43 tell us this. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. These contrasting criminals... The rejection one and the receiving one, that's humanity. You're either here, right, or here. There is no neutrality when it comes to the cross. And you could say, well, I just choose not to believe this. I choose to ignore it. I don't think it's real. I think it's foolishness, uh, whatever. It doesn't matter what language you use. If you do not receive this as a way to God, you are here. You're in this rejection state and you're viewing the cross as foolishness. We want to be here, don't we? On the receiving side of the cross, the right side of the cross. This is where the second criminal was. He doesn't excuse. He doesn't minimize. He doesn't try to escape. He doesn't try to rationalize. He acknowledges his sinfulness, his neediness. He acknowledges his depravity and his helplessness. And he turns to the one hanging next to him and says, remember me. And that one in the cross, named Jesus, looked at him and said, you'll be with me in paradise today. Jesus doesn't reject the one who comes to him, acknowledging their need of him and pleading for his mercy. He receives such a one. Wow, huh? Summary is this today. The cross provides opportunity to experience the redemptive offering of Jesus. And that's where I'm going to end. Would you bow your heads? We're going to pray today. Lord God, I want to pray that we'd all be on the right side of the cross this morning. I know some are here, honestly, Lord, because maybe a friend brought them. Maybe they're here to witness a baptism. Maybe they're here um, because a mom or dad made them or a, a mate talked them into. And I pray today would be that occurrence where they run smack dab into you, Jesus. And they have to deal with your reality. And they have to deal with the question of which side of the cross am I really on? I just plead uh, with such a one, Lord, today that they would give you a good look, a good honest examination, and they would let you uh, maybe pierce through some of the horn of their offenses or whatever obstacles they have and see you for who you really are, the Son of God who loves them with such a great love that you died for them. 
And I pray that we all would be ready to acknowledge our neediness, our brokenness, and our sinfulness, Lord, and that we would throw ourselves on your mercy, Jesus. And we love you so very much. And we, we thank you, Jesus, for salvation that you brought to us. And I pray for anyone today who wants to receive you, Jesus, that even now they would say, Jesus, I, I, I see that you are real. You are the Son of God. And even now I give you my life. I trust in you by faith, and I receive you into my heart. And I pray for such a one that they be born again in you, God, and you'd fill them even now with the person of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I pray that we all would just rejoice in this great day of celebration that we call Palm Sunday, Lord, and kind of go crazy. In your name, Jesus, and all God's people said,